0: Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today we're joined by Dan Well, Marketing Insights Director at Springboard Research. We last spoke to Diane in July of this year, so that being 2020. And Diane's back today to talk about what's happened in that interim period from all things footfall related across high street high streets, retail parks and shopping centres. Hi Diane, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you, Simon?
0: Good. It seems not five minutes since we talked and an eternity at the same time because so much has happened in between.
1: Oh, I know. 2020 has just been a year that we could have never have foretold. And uh, yes, yeah, so much has happened and not very much of that has been very good. So hopefully 2021 will be a lot more positive.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. We're, we're almost there. I'm not I'm not sure it's going to be as plain sailing as people may think. And I'm sure that the first quarter, and maybe we're touching it a bit, will be pretty much the same as 2020. But yeah, let's hope by this time next year, if we record another one, we're in, in, a, in a better place. Absolutely. So since we last spoke, as I referenced before, July of this year, twenty twenty, we've had tiers that have been introduced across the the whole of the United Kingdom, varying by country in terms of things you can do. We've had, in effect, lockdown two, maybe not as harsh as lockdown one, but certainly restaurants hospitality closed again, people being advised to work from home and minimise contact. So that there's been a lot of stuff that feels similar that has changed and a lot of stuff that remains consistent the big i suppose shining light is there's a vaccine that's been found and we've started to inoculate people so hopefully that will start to play into the the brighter horizon for 2021 so since we last spoke then what what kind of insights have you guys at springboard been seeing in terms of how footfalls changed or continue to stay the same since we last spoke We've had things clearly like Black Friday, we're almost at Christmas, so lots of things in the mix there. But what are the key themes and trends you've been seeing since July of this year?
1: Yeah, it's been interesting since July, Simon. I mean, when we spoke, we hadn't actually peaked in terms of footfall. And I know peak sounds weird given the drop in footfall. But over the summer, actually footfall started to improve very steadily, helped by the people staying at home because they couldn't travel, obviously, and also the eat out to help out scheme. So by the time we got to the end of August, footfall across all of the three destination types, so that's our high streets, shopping centres and retail parks, was a quarter less than it was last year, so 25% down, which was really positive. And of course, by the time we got to the end of August, that's when we started to get inklings from government that the uh, rate of infection was starting to rise. And so since then, it's not been nearly as positive. And of course, post-August through September, October, November, we've had uh, restrictions, tears, lockdowns. So we've seen a dip since then, certainly. But I think the overriding trend that we've seen all through 2020 is this resilience of the smaller high streets, smaller shopping location in the face of regional cities. Now, Our regional cities were always the place where gravitated to. They held more footfall than smaller towns. We've talked about the death of the high street for years, and it was our smaller high streets that were really struggling. Well, if anything, positive, and I use the word positive cautiously, is coming out of COVID. It's the fact that our smaller towns, our smaller high streets, have actually been more resilient in terms of retaining footfall than our bigger cities. And that comes from the fact that the majority of us, where we can, are working from home. We've been advised not to use public transport, so of course, you know, you need that generally to get into regional cities. We haven't got very much tourism, so they've really been hit, and central London has been hit hardest of anywhere. Whereas our smaller towns, you know, they're on our doorsteps. If we're working from home, we can pop out at lunchtime. We have become re-familiarised with these places and actually have a, a growing loyalty towards them in many states. And you know, a lot of people feel quite loyal to more independence and helping independence. So. That has been the overriding thing, really. It's sort of almost the rebirth of our small towns, our small high streets. Our, re- our big cities are having a really challenging time.
0: Typically, on the outskirts of some of those big cities, we've got the, the regional shopping centres, so the Meadow Halls of this world, the, the Traffords, Blue Waters, lakesites. How have they been faring in terms of their challenge? I assume is closed roof, yes, lots of space in the atriums, but actually, we're all we're all enclosed; it's not open air. Have they, have they been trending any differently, or are they relatively the same?
1: It's interesting with the regionals because there's there's two sides of a coin. You know, they they're a managed environment and also close to the elements. So as weather got worse, people gravitate to, towards them, and of course, people feel more safe because they are managed environment and they control numbers. But as you say, they are within within a, a roof, so people as also feel quite vulnerable. But they were sort of tracking. Regional cities—they weren't doing brilliantly, but they weren't doing uh, really badly either. But actually, smaller shopping centres that are based in smaller high streets were doing as well, if not better. That was the trend until reopening of stores in England following lockdown two, um, and of course, following the reopening, we were right at the sort of these towards the zenith of Christmas trading. And since the reopening, regional malls have done really well. They've done much better than smaller shopping centres because obviously we. As consumers, we head towards the larger places to shop for Christmas gifts. Latterly, they've done much better than they were doing, but they were, you know, at least 50% down, if not 60% down. Very similar to regional cities, apart from the fact that you can drive to them. Um, The places that, of course, were doing the best and continue to be the strongest and most resilient are our retail parks because they are the opposite ends. They're open air. You can get to them easily by car. The stores are big, parking's external, so and they have food stores. So these places, um, and these destinations, have done much better than everywhere else this year.
0: So out of COVID, if we take some positives, there's this ber- rebirth of the high street, but almost of the the retail part because there were some that were looking quite unloved. I suppose ones that I visited across the country over the last. 12 to 18 months some that again lots of shops that had closed up or empty space in there so there might be the the two positives that come out in terms of looking after the independence those local shops but also anywhere that's an out of town open air venue like you say typically with a supermarket on site may get some more love and care and see some of those vacant spaces filled
1: Absolutely. And of course, retail parks over the past sort of four years have done really well because they've been improved by landlords. You know, a lot of them have coffee shops now. Some of them have leisure facilities. Dowdy, Drab, Functional Retail Park is largely gone. So they've already had some upside But actually, we couldn't have foretold how much of an upside they were going to get through COVID. And largely, that's because they have food stores. 75% of all retail parts have a food store. And so we continued to shop in those, even when lockdown one, when nothing else was open. And in lockdown two in England, of course, the, the food stores were open and other shops were open and they were the natural place to go to shop. That was helpful to them. And of course, you know, they continue to be attractive and they're very convenient for shoppers. So they are continuing to do well. You know, at the end of last week, footfall was just 8.6% down on last year in retail parks across the UK. You know, that's an astonishing result when you compare it to regional cities where footfall was down so sort of nearly 50% on last year. So you can see the huge difference. So they, they will continue to do well. And it's the convenience mixed with the blend of many of those parts having high street offer as well. So, you know, convenience for food and non-food.
0: Yeah, it be in, interesting to see again in, in 12 months' time where we are with that split across those different types of, of shopping channels. And clearly in, the, in all that mix has been Black Friday, a bit of a difficult one to get a gauge on this year because you can't really look back because the data's not like for like. What, what have you seen or what assumptions or conclusions have you come to in terms of Black Friday this year?
1: Yes, yeah, so of course, Black Friday um, was right in the middle of lockdown two in England. So there was no opportunity for shoppers to go to stores to shop. So they had to shop online. Of course, they could go to stores that were deemed essential to shop. And we did see footfall on Black Friday itself in high streets and shopping centres predominantly increase from the week before. It's interesting because you, you could go to an M&S on Black Friday uh, because it has food and also shop for non-food. So it wasn't a truly level playing field by any manner of means, but we certainly saw an increase from the week before, although we have seen increases in footfall on a week-by-week basis generally throughout 2020. So it wasn't such an enormous increase that you think to yourself, oh, this is driven by Black Friday itself. But certainly the drop, the increase on Black Friday was greater in high streets and shopping centres that therefore does suggest that there's a bit of shopping going on there. Yeah, it's interesting with Black Friday. I mean, we haven't had the online results for Black Friday yet um, or the results for November yet. So we haven't really got evidence to say how successful Black Friday was. And we need that because it clearly, as I said, it's all online. So it'll be next year before we really know whether Black Friday is continuing as a an event in the calendar but the essence and the the sense we're getting from retailers is that it is and it's really marking starting to mark the start of christmas trading and it has really become a fixture in the retail calendar whether or not retailers want to participate or not
0: yeah I'm, i'm a bit confused by it still i suppose because like you say it does mark the the start of christmas trading there's clearly lots of discounts that are applied so are you just bringing forward christmas sales are you damaging margin all seems to create a really big peak for the stores in in normal times when you can go out and do things but also for the distribution channels. so we're we're working with a couple of retailers at the moment who've said to us and when we've been in the stores the volume of online click and collect parcels that black friday cyber monday generated for the stores was almost unmanageable so They didn't have the storage space because they used to having, you know, two or three, four or five parcels delivered to the store for collection by customers a week. And all of a sudden it's 400. The stores aren't set up to deal with it. So therefore, as a customer, it takes longer to get them a parcel. I'm sure there'll be instances where people go and they can't find the parcel and all those things. So they create themselves this massive spike of workload either in the store or from the distribution center to the store at almost a reduced margin and sale price. So as a a retailer, I probably feel I've got to do it. But from the outside looking in, it feels counterintuitive. And I think we talked before, Diane, about some of the bigger multiples started to opt out, didn't they? Because I think they saw how it was growing and what it was doing to the the store teams.
1: No, I think you've summed it up really, really well, Simon. All those issues that you mentioned are exactly the issues why retailers shouldn't participate in Black Friday, yet they do. And it's simply competitive pressure, you know, Next and M&S are probably the only retailer who can sit outside Black Friday and feel comfortable about doing that. Um, But the rest of retail is all about grabbing the shopper first and claiming that shopper before anyone else does. And really it's creating that loyalty in the run-up to Christmas. If they can get that shopper on their side buying their products for Christmas, they're more likely to hold on to them. So you're absolutely right. They they are driving margin down. And, of course, that has long-term implications for retail because – the lack of um, capital and funds within the business means they can't actually future-proof their business, they can't actually revolutionise their business and regenerate their business in the way they need to in the 2021 world and in a true multi-channel world that we're now sitting in.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting if if there's a bulk that want to break the mould or almost it becomes Black Friday month and really that's the end of November through to to christmas just to smooth out that workload again back to my time running stores i would would have probably dreaded that weekend just because i knew what was coming great for sales but from a store workload point of view how do i cope with it how do i make sure it's right for the customer and deliver what the the company wants so challenging time in times in that respect i'm not sure they'll solve it because it kinda comes and goes, doesn't it? And once people into January, they're thinking about new year, new budgets, what what does it hold? And then all of a sudden it creeps up on you again. Black Black Friday example kind of plays back to some of the new habits we've we've formed, lots more shopping online, lots more click and collect we're seeing, lots more synergies of organizations you wouldn't have thought working together, and those that are all taking advantage of, you know, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, Eat Out, all those other brands for delivery so the channels have morphed changed blurred into each other if you like i think we both agree that probably quarter 1 of next year going to be relatively similar to where we've come from in quarter 4 quarter 3 this year potentially another lockdown various things happening while people are getting more and more of the vaccine across the country if we assume that's going to be relatively status quo q1 maybe even q2 next year by this time next year, what are your thoughts and feelings about where we'll be? Will we have a new baseline in terms of there's just an expectation that there's less people that go out shopping now, or will it be kind of bounced back and we'll be busier than ever on the high streets?
1: I mean, that is, I mean, this is going to be real stargazing. Actually, I do think there's been a fundamental shift in shopping that's been brought about by COVID. That there's much more of a widespread adoption of online by people who previously wouldn't have shopped online because they've had to through COVID. And I think once you get converted to the convenience of online, you will certainly um, spend a purport, continue to spend a proportion of your budget online because it is so convenient. I mean, certainly this is the impact it had on high streets quite a few years ago. It wasn't necessarily that online was claiming a lot of spend because it wasn't enormously, but what was happening is that the visits that we used to make into high streets for things like uh, travel agents and banks and you know, the post office, all of that moved online, all the intangibles moved online. So the number of visits we made to our high streets declined. And that was where the impact on footfall came about. And consequently, the add-on spend to those retailers who benefited from those incidental visits declined. But, and I think we're going to see a similar thing. I think footfall is going to take a step downwards. Simply because there is another layer of consumers now who have gotten used to shopping online for, if not comparison, luxury items that we want in our lives, but certainly the functional convenience led items that we don't need to visit a store for, but perhaps we did. And certainly older shoppers now, there's a large, greater proportion of those shopping online. But what is interesting, actually, Simon, is that the proportion of people shopping for food online is still relatively low. It's only around 10%. So actually, I mean, which is why our food stores have had such a bonanza year. The majority of us still want to go to food stores. And so actually, I think what we might find is even more food stores moving back into our urban shopping locations that, so food stores can capture that spend. Because there is only so much logistical capability they have for delivery. We know that the delivery slots are hard to come by in peak times. And in fact, a lot of us don't actually like to shop online for food. We like to go into store. So I think that may well be much more resilient in terms of footfall than non-food, uh, whereas non-food we're seeing you know significant proportions of people buying fashion online now. So I think next year we're going to see almost a rebalancing of footfall. We're going to see another step downwards, another drop. Um, so even when COVID is hopefully much less of a threat for us and we've all been vaccinated and let's hope by this time next year that's the case the footfall will be much lower than it was back in 2019.
0: Yeah it's interesting that whole supermarket thing and you, you're right I through lockdown and even my mum got online doing click and collect or online food shopping it's a very different experience there's something that's quite therapeutic about wandering around a supermarket clearly you you see all the stuff on the ends that are on offer and all the the things that they want you to attract and buy and add a bit more value in your basket you really don't get that online it's just a list of things and it becomes much more of a binary process of i want some carrots i'll search carrots i want some hot chocolate i'll search hot chocolate it's it's just a very very different experience buying grocery online than like you say fashion computer games whatever it might be i think for me that comes back to because there's such a breadth of choice you almost don't know what you're missing if you type in
1: yeah no absolutely and i think there's a whole complication around use by dates you know you can't control that when it's delivered to you so you'll get carrots that are nearly by the nearly at the end of their use by date and that leads to dissatisfaction but also it's costly for the supermarkets to be honest you know and there comes a point where you don't want to spend 40 or 60 pounds having it delivered so you don't And so I think all of these things will shift or won't necessarily shift away from the existing online purchase, but it won't lead to more people shopping online in the future. We will still want to continue to shop in store. And as you say, it's very sensory food. And, you know, that's why the packaging is so important, you know, and, you know, the position on the shelves is so important. And also for many people, it's a social experience. So, um, and they haven't any other social experiences at the moment. So I I do believe that that will continue. And I think, This has been the greatest consumer shock to our system that we've ever had. And even within this period, if people don't transition to online food shopping during this period, then it's unlikely to happen.
0: Yeah. I wonder if they've thought about doing a virtual supermarket. That might be one for somebody listening.
1: Yeah. And I did did pick up something a couple of years ago when there were sort of, you know, virtual walkthroughs of stores. And I think – that will go some way, but I think it, you know, it still doesn't allow you to go to the back of the shelf and pick the, the, the packet with the uh, longest, most far away use-by date, which is what I think we will probably do. And it still means that when it gets delivered to you in a slot that you have to wait for and uh, account for, you know, you look at it and think, oh, I don't want to use it in two days. I want to use it in a week. So that makes it quite tricky logistically for a buyer, for a, for a consumer, to make the most of online purchasing, um, yeah. which is hence why we end up around stores.
0: Yeah, and I think the the, the supermarkets, clearly the, the big four, and then the discounters have got a real opportunity. Obviously, they've stayed open and supported the nation through that, and clearly on the other side, taking the sales and, and had a great year as well. But we're seeing all these collaborations now. So B&Q have just opened two stores in Asda's. Asda have got the new owners from the G group and they're looking at potentially acquiring a coffee shop chain that we all know to put in the stores um so this whole collaboration thing i suspect the the, the value of footage in a supermarket has gone up and all those big over space ones is now a real opportunity to put in collaborations concessions because clearly that's where we're going to keep shopping regardless of what happens everywhere else
1: yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that collabor- collaboration idea has been around for a little while. And of course, you know, Sainsbury's did it with Argos recently. And, you know, we have had coffee shops in Next's and, you know, Waterstones were the first people to have coffee shops in a bookshop. So that has been in the offing. But I think for for now, it's a real game changer for, for food stores because clearly they were looking at their store portfolio and thinking they're going to have to shut a lot of their mega stores. And some of them have clothing franchises in them. But actually now that there is a you know a, a new opportunity for them and as you said these collaborations between big space users will actually create mini shopping centers almost mini district town centers in some some instances within one roof so there's advantages for the retailers themselves but actually for the smaller high street city next to them they may then face a challenge once again um uh, uh, once we see the, hopefully the back of covid of how to compete with these new, regenerated, smaller centres that have a lot of offer in them.
0: Yeah, you're right to call out Waterstones and, and Next have done a great job over the years with Paper Chase and Costa. They've got a couple where they've got car showrooms in, so they've, they've clearly been on board for for much longer than what's been born out of COVID. The other, the other interesting thing for me is around that whole convenience versus supermarket model. So although they might have great opportunity in, piece around the larger stores actually if we're shopping less often because we want less contact they've all they've all driven convenience as their kind of expansion market so again I think that might change the dial for them in terms of if we're shopping less often but in the larger supermarkets how many convenience stores do I need in a a town around my large super center
1: yes absolutely it's almost you know flipping a coin back to where we were before they started to look at the big stores and start to review the, the, the size of their network on those. Um, you know, we had this expansion of the smaller food store because we were starting to shop for food in a more top-up daily way. But of course, a large proportion of those are in our big regional cities because uh, they, they were being supported by the working population. And if they're not there, then they won't survive. I'm sure they're reviewing their smaller store portfolio as we speak and looking at where, they sh- where the future will lie for those stores. In perhaps smaller high streets, they may take a a different view and retain those stores or even open up new uh, local food stores in high streets where they don't currently exist or strengthen those food stores or segment them in a different way. And because we are shopping more locally, perhaps have a, a more convenient catering offer, hospitality offer in some of the smaller high streets that cater for people working at home perhaps and have fresh baked bread or sandwiches, something that enables them to have a strong lunchtime trade. But I think there's going to be some granular changes that need to happen within the retailers' networks. And they're going to be quite subtle. Um, And there's going to be quite a lot of segmentation that will need to happen and distinction between different types of shopping location.
0: Let's pause there. I think there's some green shoots, if you like, for maybe Q2 onwards next year clearly good news for local high streets in terms of the way we've supported those in the last nine to 12 months. And and let's see how that plays out and hopefully continues. And I'm sure for, for all retailers, national multinational, there's, there's some wins in all of this. There's some bits where they're left scratching their head a little bit and some bits where their strategy of convenience, like we've just talked about, maybe now is up for reconsideration or review. So yeah, I'm sure you're going to get some fascinating data come through over Christmas, Diane, and, uh, and early in the new year. Let's let's put something in to record maybe midway through next year and see how well we predicted the future or not.
1: Yeah, that would be fantastic. I think we're going to see a lot of changes.
0: Brilliant. As ever, it's great to catch up and really appreciate your time. Take care. Thanks
1: Simon.